Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this week, we hope you'll join us next Sunday at 9 a.m. for Sunday school or 10 a.m. for worship. Now, here's this week's message. I am excited to be here with you as we continue our series called The New You, where we're studying the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. If not, that's okay. It'll be back here on the screen so you can follow along. So just do a quick recap with you. So far, we've seen Paul introduce himself to the church. We see him call the church to praise God, kind of like a worship service. He tells them to open their hearts and their mind to what God has done and who God is. And then he tells them, which we looked at last week, that he hasn't stopped praying for them. And one thing he's particularly praying for is that they would know God better. And he goes from doing this and now turns the corner in chapter 2 to something else. See, now he's going to start building rapport with this church. You see, this letter is very different than many of the other letters Paul has written. He's not going straight in into attacking a situation or a problem. Uh, this letter was circulated among a bunch of different um, audiences, so he takes his time to build rapport with them, to get to know them better, to get them all on the same page. Basically, he takes the southern approach to a conversation. Okay, you see, both of my parents were born in Maryland. I was raised in Northern Virginia with people from the North. What this means is I was born and raised with what's called matter-of-fact speech. That's how we have a conversation. It's not being rude to us. We are just getting to the point and getting to it quick. But that's not the natural form of communication in the South, is it? No, and I'm reminded at the grocery store all the time. You see, here when you talk to someone, you're supposed to ask how they're doing, how their kids are doing, how their dogs are, how their house is, how their gutters are, how many times they've cut the grass, where are they going, and when are they going on vacation. You go back and forth with stories about your life, stories about their life. You just find common ground. You discuss everything. You say, how are you doing? What takes you 30 seconds in the north to talk about takes you 30 minutes in the south. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing thing. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's building rapport with this audience that he doesn't know. He doesn't know all these people, and he's taking the southern approach. Because he doesn't know everybody, and these people are from a different culture. Many of them speak a different language. They have different parents, and they worship differently. I mean, how do you build rapport? How can you do this with a group of people who are so different than you? Well, he talks about a shared experience, something that all Christians have in common, something that they can instantly grab hold of, and that is that they are utterly dependent upon the grace of God. That's how he builds the rapport with them. And by building the rapport with them, he paints the most beautiful picture, I believe, in the New Testament of grace. This is the one thing we all have in common, all of those who follow Jesus. You see, it's the starting point for all of us. Grace is the one thing we have to understand, the one idea about God, the one thing that may be the hardest to grasp, but the most important thing for us to launch into our faith. It's the one thing that keeps us moving in our faith. 
You see, grace has to be the foundation of our churches, and it has to be the foundation of our lives. You see, the new you, the new identity that you have embraced because of Jesus Christ is all about grace. What I'm trying to say is everything we do as a church and everything we do as individuals hangs on understanding of grace because the message of grace is the message of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's going to share and give us three pictures of grace. He's going to say, here's who we were, here's who we are now, and here's what we need to do because of it. So who you were. Now let's be honest, many of us don't like to look back at the past. It's not always pretty. It's kind of like your yearbook picture. But some of us, when we do look back, we may not see things that other people see. Right? It's easily to get a distorted picture of the past. For instance, this picture right here is my favorite yearbook picture ever, okay? (laughs) My favorite by far. You see, this is my 10th grade year, and when I look back, I am impressed with him. When I see this picture, I see stories. Stop laughing, I'm talking, okay? Pay attention, focus. When I see this picture, I see great stories. I see that I finally learned how to properly do highlights. Okay, because look at my ninth grade. It was all blonde, it didn't work out. Go back to 10th grade. See, this is when I finally figured it out. So what I see, I see the perfectly sized diamond earring. It's, It's fake, but you see it. Perfect highlights. I see my red Tommy Hilfiger shirt that I got from the Goodwill in Maryland that was like brand new when I bought it because we couldn't afford that in real life. I see my double undershirts, the black that matches the outside. Listen, I'm impressed with this guy. Keep going. I see the white undershirt that also brings out the white in the shirt. I see my, my, I know I had the baggy jeans on at that point, and I know that if I wore this outfit, I also had on my cinnamon-colored Timberland boots, okay? I know what this guy has, and I think he has it going on. Even now I look back. This was a turning point. This is when I figured it all out. But when I show this picture to my wife, well, she laughs at me just like you do. She says, I would have never dated this guy. Your hair is terrible. Your earring is silly. And everything I find awesome, she thinks is horrible. You see, all of us, have a way of looking at our past, well, we can be biased about it. We just see the good. But what we're about to read is an unbiased account of our past, of a life without Christ. This is what Paul says. This is who you were. This is who I was. He says, and as for you, you were dead in your transgression and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work in those who were disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. See, the picture isn't pretty. But Paul says that's where we all were. We were dead in our sins. The thing the scripture tells us is when we're dead in our sins or that sin has separated us from God. And when we look back on life, we say, well, sin's not that bad. I mean, come on, it wasn't that. We've missed the gravity of it. You see, sin has caused all of us to be spiritually dead. We're separated from God, separated from his purpose in life, which means just quite frankly, when we're in sin, 
it causes us to live a meaningless life because we followed the wrong things. We're following the ways of the world. We're following the, the things that are evil. When we're not following God, we're following something else. There is no gray area. We're either following God or we're following something else. That's the, the picture Paul paints here. That's why Jesus constantly tells us to follow him. And he said, we've all lived like this. This is the common ground. We've all lived completely selfish lives, living for ourselves, running around trying to gratify and satisfy everything we can. That's what sin is, gratifying and satisfying everything we want, meaning it's all about us. And this type of living, what Paul says, is deserving of wrath. So God is holy and just. And that's a scary thing to think about, that God is a holy and just God. And we may think, well, it's not fair that God wants to judge sin. That's not fair he would do something like that. That's the problem. God shouldn't care about that. Sin's a much bigger deal than you think. But even more importantly, the truth is everybody likes to be judged. When someone says that you're pretty, do you enjoy it? Someone says they love your outfit, do you enjoy it? When someone says, Brian, I love the frosted tips you had back in 10th grade, do you enjoy it? Of course, we like it when people judge us just when we, the way we want them to judge us. We just don't want to be told that we're wrong. That's what we don't like. None of us do. But when we are comparing ourselves to a holy and perfect God, well, well, he gets to say. And you might say, well, Brian, I'm not that bad. There's no way what I did was deserving of wrath. And I think my highlights were awesome. Again, we have a biased way of looking at our past, and that's what Paul's pulling us back from. This is an unbiased view. This is what sin has done. This is the common human problem, our shared experience. And while you might not like that picture, and I hope you don't, the key to understanding grace is understanding that picture. The key to understanding how terrible sin is is the key to unlocking how big grace is. Verse 4, look at this. But, you should circle that, unline it, and highlight it all at the same time. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So this is your word, but God. God has shown up and did something for us, and he tells us why, because of his love, his mercy, and his kindness. God did something awesome when it was dark, when it was bleak, when it looked like we had no way out. God stepped in, and he has saved us through Jesus Christ, because Christ died for our sins. He took our place. He took the wrath that we deserved. God took responsibility for what we have done. That's the amazing thing. We call sin. God took responsibility for it and came down and died for us. He died a horrible death that we deserved. And now in Christ, we've been raised with him. We've been seated with him. This is Paul's way of saying that what is true of Christ is now true of us. And we have been made alive and we have this position of security with Christ. It's kept secure in the heavenly realms with him. He describes it as we've been made alive now. We've been reborn. 
But just like we didn't do anything for our natural birth, we can't do anything for the spiritual birth. It is Christ who does this work. He stepped in and did something because of his love, because of his mercy, and because of his kindness. That's the picture of God we got to understand. But God, he stepped in. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, that is the gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. See, it's by grace you've been saved. You should memorize that verse if you haven't already. We are completely undeserving, but he stepped in and did it anyways. The thing that we have in common is that none of us can save ourselves. No matter how awesome we might think we are, salvation was a gift from God. And this is very hard to embrace. This is very hard to grasp because our experience in life tells us this isn't true. Everything in life tells us that we have to earn people's love and acceptance. We have to say the right things. We have to wear the right clothes. We have to look a certain way to get people's approval and love. We so desperately want people to like us and Joyce. We so desperately crave other people. We all try to how to figure out how we can get along socially with others. And everybody works hard, grows up, tries to figure this out. Especially if you come from a broken family, you already have a distorted view of all of it. But you see, it doesn't work that way with God. You can't do enough good works to be on his good side. He's already done all the work that needs to be done. And Paul says, yeah, this is hard to get. You need to be saved, but God's already done it. He's already fixed it. And he's given you this gift, this salvation. How do I receive that? What do I do? He says, well, through faith. It's through faith you were saved. Faith is not just a mental assertion of some ideas. Faith is relational. It describes and implies trust and commitment. And so we have to have faith in this whole story, not just part of it. We have faith that we are broken sinners because that's what Jesus came to fix. We have faith that we need God, that we were so far away from him, we were rebelling against him, We have faith that we needed him and we we trust him and have faith in Jesus Christ. We have faith that he has fixed our deepest need. He's restored that relationship. It's acknowledging that we need him. Nothing we can do can fix it. Not money, not counseling, not cars, not new clothes, not the new relationship. We all have that void. It's not just you. We all have that void that something is missing. And that thing that is missing is Jesus Christ. It says, all that other stuff we want to fill it with won't fix it. It can only be Jesus. And see, that's our shared experience. That you're broken. You're not good enough. But God has stepped in. And because of his love and mercy, what is true of Christ is now true of you. And Jesus died on the cross for, to restore your brokenness, to redeem you, to reconcile you with And you see, there's two common objections to grace if you really get that message of grace. The first one is, I've I've done way too much. You can get so caught up with what you've done, where you've been, what you've seen, that you say, there's no way God could forgive that. We can get so overwhelmed with our sin, or we can get so overwhelmed by, by what other people have done to us. We can get so overwhelmed, we think, there's no way that God would forgive me. There's no way God would accept me. And the message Paul is saying is, yes, he absolutely will. He is God. 
He's not, he's not just one of your buddies. He's not just your parents. He is the creator of the universe who has come to die for you. That's how much he loves you. And he already loved you before you've done anything. He already knows what you've done. But he still wants to forgive you and love you. And the second is, but if that's true, if that's what my life was like and he did it and I can't do anything, that means, well, that means I'll owe him everything. You see, grace strips away our pride. Grace strips away the do-it-yourself attitude. Grace tells you and I that every single one of us, it doesn't matter our education, it doesn't matter where we went to school, it doesn't matter our bank account, it doesn't matter our last name, all of that other stuff, grace strips away all of that and puts us all in the same boat that we all need Jesus. And once we understand this, it provokes a response that is so uncomfortable. I know I've experienced it. It provokes a response of, well, that means, that means I owe him everything. He has done everything for me. I can't do anything. I'm in debt to him. To which Paul says, yes. You can't earn it. You're not good enough. But he loves you and has done it. To which Paul says, for we, now that you've been saved, now that you've accepted this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians 10. So you were dead, but now because of Christ, you are God's handiwork. And that literally reads you are God's creation. That is that God is recreating you and molding you and making you into something different. In other words, he is leading you to the place where, to the good works you can do, the things he's prepared for you to do. Our faith isn't being idle. Our faith is saying that God has something in store for us. The new you has a new purpose. It has new goals. It has new opportunities. It has so many things because of what he has done. See, we all have this in common. This is a shared experience. This should be your experience. The picture Paul is painting is that God will not stay out of our lives. He is a persistent, loving God that wants a relationship with you and has done everything possible to make that happen. But he doesn't want you just to acknowledge he exists. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him because he's made you alive. He's given you a new purpose for living. Instead of worrying about pleasing ourselves and gratifying and satisfying, now we can pursue him and he should be enough. And he is enough. You see, because we are utterly dependent. Utterly dependent upon the grace of God. Because of all that, I just have three application points for you this morning. These will go quick. First, because of the grace of God, you have a new direction. In verse 8, Paul reminds us that we are saved by grace through faith. You've heard that before? Yeah, well, we're not only saved by faith, we're also called to live by faith faith. We're not only saved by faith, we are to live by faith, and faith is always for the future. You see, the past is a scary place to live, I know. The past is filled with regrets, which can constantly remind us that we're not good enough. Or as we talked about, the past is the place where you can look through and, and get a little biased, and you can think back then, well, those were the good old days. Back then, that was the glory time. We can get so stuck trying to live in a time and a place that doesn't even exist any longer. But the problem is, this past probably wasn't near as good as we think it was. 
You see, the scripture is very clear. Our glory days are what lies ahead. All of the Bible writers, all of them, including Jesus, tell us to look forward to what's ahead. And we saw that in this verse. He says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages. Oh, you mean back then? No, 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 what's coming? The future, when he's going to make it all right, when you're in glory with him. The coming ages, he may show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness to Christ Jesus. Listen, heaven is not found on this earth. We have to stop looking for it. Faith always points us forward, points us forward to what God has in store for us. You see, I don't need faith for my past. I already know what's happened. I need faith for what lies ahead. And if I'm following Jesus, that means he's leading me somewhere. If he's prepared good works for me to do in advance, that means I'm going somewhere. I have things to do. It's just like driving. We can't move forward if we're always looking in the rearview mirror, can we? I mean, automobile engineers know this. Think about it. Your windshield is much bigger than your rearview mirror, isn't it? If I were to drive forward staring in the rearview mirror, what would happen? I would crash and end up going where? Nowhere. I would be stuck. And sure, it's good to review my past. Sure, it's good to look back in the rearview mirror, make sure danger's not coming up, make sure, you know, check in, see if I can learn something about the road, something like that. But there's a reason why our windshield is so much larger. Because where I'm going is so much more important than where I've been. Faith is for the future. And if I'm stuck in the past, I will miss out on what God is doing right in front of me. Read one of the Gospels and look at the Pharisees. They missed Jesus who was right in front of them because they were so stuck in what he should be doing. So faith is for the future. And number two, you have a job to do. We don't want to miss out on that. We all have this in common. You are God's handiwork. He is creating you and molding you for something. You've been saved from sin, but you've been saved for his purpose. He's prepared things for you. And I don't want you to miss that, but more importantly, I, don't, I know God doesn't want you to miss out on what he has for you. And I can't help but think this is what God's office looks like. Look at this next picture. This is my office. My favorite, by the way, is the top right where Daniela drew the Ninja Turtles. It was so exciting. I was like, she captured me. She gets it. But these are the pictures that my kid drew for me. And you may not think they're a big deal, but they're masterpieces to me. And I can't help but think that's what God's office looks like. All those things you've done, all those works you've done, I can't help but think he has them up like, oh, look at them. They're taking that next step of faith. Oh, they start up to, to teach. Oh, they, they volunteered to help with the children. Oh, they're, they're doing that thing with the police. I can't help but think he's going, oh, I'm so proud of them. You see, you have what it takes to be a part of what God is doing in this world. It's so easy to get this distorted view of him up there judging you and just, just being this angry guy, but that's not who he is at all. Look at Jesus. God has pulled out the chair He's laid the crowns out. He's even brought open the coloring book, and he said, come on. I got things for you. I want you to do this. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing in the world. Not because he needs you, but because he loves you. 
which means you should eagerly expect exciting endeavors. I try to see how many E's I could use there, okay? You should, eager, you should eagerly expect exciting endeavors. Maybe you remember that. If God is shaping us and creating us and molding us, we should be like a kid on Christmas every single day. Because every single day brings new opportunities from the Lord. Every day means there's something else he has for us to do. We should be eagerly expecting exciting endeavors. Listen, if you didn't know this, life should be fun. Life should be adventurous. If you're living by faith, it's always the unknown. You should wake up every morning excited, going, God has something for me. Listen, people who meet you, would they think there's hope in Jesus by how you act? Would they want that hope that you have? Would they see hope? You should wake up every morning excited, expecting something else. Because the new you really can be new. God is molding you and creating you into his masterpiece. You were dead, but now that you're, now you're alive. There's a new direction and a new purpose and a new meaning. Which means you really can be excited. We really can get on board with what he's doing in this world because we are utterly dependent upon the grace of God, not just for our salvation, but for everything, for every breath we take, for every step of faith we take. Listen, if you've given Jesus Christ your life, that's your story. It may not feel like it, it may not seem like it, but it is. That's your story. This is the common ground. This is what you should delight in. This is what you should get caught up in. The goodness and the mercy and the love of God. And I have no idea what you're going through this morning, but I promise you that God does. And I promise you he's greater than it. And I promise what he has in store for you is so much more important than you living for yourself. I don't want you to miss out on it. I don't want you to have a life full of regret about missing out on what God wants to do through you. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is what he's offering you. He's offering you grace. This can be your story. A new you. A new life. You see, God is a God who won't stay out of your life. Are you ready to experience a new one? Are you tired of doing things your own way? Are you tired of, of leading your own life thinking you got it figured out just to find out it doesn't work so well? So that's the problem we all have. Being a Christian is submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord, which means he's in charge and we're not. Are you ready to accept his free gift of salvation? Ready to turn your life over and be a part of something better? Do you want peace? Do you want purpose? Do you want to be set free from that bondage of sin? And today is your day. Because all of us are utterly dependent upon the grace of God. And here in a moment, we're going to sing a song of reflection. And it's a great song, and I, and I hope it's your prayer. But during that time, while they're singing, I'm going to be up here. And if you want to talk, if you want to pray, and, and just a reminder, the altar is always open. If you ever want to come up here and pray, or you need someone to pray for you, we'd love to come up here and do that with you. 
But, but during this time of reflection, what, what I ask you to do is do business with God. If you need to repent, repent. If you came in here with an absolute horrible attitude and God's grabbed hold of you because of his grace, repent. If you need to give your life over to him, do so. We'll be up here and I'll lead you to it if you need, if you need to under, you know, have questions about what that looks like. But during this time of reflection, we just ask you to get caught up in it. Get caught up in Jesus. Get caught up in worship. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your grace. Father, there may be people here this morning who don't know you, who've heard about you, who've heard about Jesus, but they never, they never accepted your gift of salvation. Father, we pray that you would draw them in this morning. We pray that they would respond to your call, that nothing else will matter, that they will feel your pull in your heart, and submit to you. Father, the rest of us, I just pray that we get caught up in Jesus. Father, we're sensitive to your spirit. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.